today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. This tree, this time, this period that they're in, bringing life, bringing health, bringing restoration, bringing renewal. This is eternity. This is moving on into eternity. When we look back earlier in the chapters where it says there's going to be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, for the former things have passed away. John is trying to describe it here for us metaphorically speaking, but this is now, in this time and place, a time of purity. It's a time of righteousness. It's a pure river of water of life. We are reading today about things that John saw and wrote about in Revelation that also line up with things we read in Ezekiel. God's Word is confirmed by God's Word. Pastor David is also revealing to us that there will be a time of healing and vitality. If you've ever gone to a spa and tried to get refreshed and renewed, that's nothing compared to what's coming. We're going to be in awe of what we see and feel. How great is our God that we have such amazing things to look forward to. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 22 with today's edition of The Open Word. And he showed me a pure river, river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And its leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I'm sharing with you that Again, the division of chapter and verse within the Word is not the inspired thing. That was done years and years after the Word was written, just so we could find the same place when we say, hey, turn to chapter 22, verse 1. We can all come to the same place. The thought really here is John is continuing on as he has seen the new Jerusalem that we looked at last week in chapter 21. And back in chapter 21, in verse 22, he says, as he looked at this new Jerusalem, He said that I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need for the sun or for the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminates it. The Lamb is its light, the light of this whole city. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, 
proceeding from the throne and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. We look at this and we understand that John is having, man, just this absolutely glorious experience as he's seen the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. We, as the bride of Christ, we are that new Jerusalem. We come, and even as the word says that we are built upon the foundation, we become the building blocks of that temple, you and I as believers. And all of these things John is seeing, he's he's trying to explain in a way that you and I might be able to understand it and see it, that the first century church could see and understand some kind of a concept of what I'm sure many, many times was difficult to put into words just because of the absolute beauty of it all. The first thing that becomes really evident to John is this river, this flowing from the throne of God, from the Lamb. And there was found this tree of life. And this is the same, it's a very similar type of experience that both Zechariah and Ezekiel had in the Old Testament. You don't need to turn there, but you can mark it down in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 6 through 9. Zechariah writes, It shall come to pass in that day, that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time, it shall happen that it will be light. So in other words, Zechariah is saying there's no external lights, but there is light. In other words, the Lord is the light. He goes on to say, And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. And then in Ezekiel chapter 47 In verse 1, Ezekiel writes, And then he brought me back, in Ezekiel's vision, the angel brought him back to the door of the temple. And there was water flowing under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. Well, as magnificent as this whole scene would have been as John stood before it there, one of the very things that he notices is this river. And the thing that he notices about this river is that the river is, it's a pure river. It's a water of life. It's clear as crystal. And although I don't doubt that there was actually a real river flowing there, we read about it in Zechariah, we read about it in Ezekiel, we see it here in Revelation, I believe also that there is a symbolism to that river. Also, it's a type of a metaphor. There's several things we could look at. The river flowing speaks of an abundance. It's flowing. It's not just a little stream. It's a river that's flowing. There's no limitation from its source. Where's it coming from? From underneath the throne of God. There's nothing that's going to be lacking in that. It's going to continue to flow. Nothing lacking in its abundance, nothing lacking in what it supplies. The second thing that we see is that it's pure water. John says that it's crystal clear, and that speaks again about the 
pureness, the purity and the, the holiness, really, of that flow coming from underneath the throne of God as it comes from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Something about this river. One of the other things we see is the river itself, just as water often speaks to us about that flowing, that never-ending work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. We see that this river flows from the throne of God and from the Lamb, and what a beautiful description that is of the Holy Spirit coming from God the Father and from God the Son, the Holy Spirit coming to minister. And it does minister as it is. It says that it's the water of life. And as we see that in a moment, it supplies life. It restores, it refreshes. It's similar to the living waters that Jesus promised to that woman in Samaria. Remember when he says, if you knew, you could ask and I'll give you water, but it's living waters. It's similar to the waters that Jesus spoke that those who believe out of their very heart will gush forth rivers of living water. I see all of these things working together, just that work, that abundance of the work of the Holy Spirit within the believer's life and the work of the Holy Spirit even in this place. It's interesting that it's only John in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the only one that ever refers to living waters in his Gospel. The story of the woman of Samaria, as well as that, uh, again, Jesus speaking about out of your heart is going to flow living waters. And now here in the book of Revelation, he speaks of it again. He sees it. He's experiencing those waters himself flowing from the throne of God. Here also John speaks about the tree of life. And that tree of life, it bears 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Well, he saw and he wrote in much the same manner, even again, as Ezekiel had seen. Ezekiel, still in chapter 47, back in Ezekiel in verse 12, Ezekiel writes that along the bank of the river that he saw, on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. I believe it's the very same thing he's seeing here. You cannot doubt. Are there some differences? Yeah, a little bit, and we're going to look at those in a moment. But I believe, again, God's showing a very similar vision to two different men, the two different men describing that vision to those that we're going to be reading. And as John writes here, it seems in the book of Revelation that there might be just one tree. He says, the tree of life. And yet he speaks about how it's growing on both sides of the river. And even John says, and each tree, speaking of plural, yielding its fruit every month. Well, Ezekiel tells us that there's all kinds of trees. So which one is right? Well, I believe that they're both right. I believe that, again, this vision here is the symbolism of that tree of life. Is it one or two trees is it on both sides of the river? My answer is yes. Okay, I believe that it can be both. I believe that, again, from what John is saying is this tree or these trees are trees of life. And from them, this fruit comes. From them, these leaves come that bring healing to the nations. And again, symbolic, metaphoric, Actual, real, true? 
Yes, I believe all three. I believe that in all three, it could actually and truly be there. I say that we can get into a little bit of speculation without losing the meaning of the passage, but both of them tell us that the tree or the trees bear their fruit every month. Ezekiel says their leaves are for medicine. John says their leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I believe that they're seeing the same vision, and the visions that they both saw have the same meaning. This tree, this time, this period that they're in, bringing life, bringing health, bringing restoration, bringing renewal. This is eternity. This is moving on into eternity. When we look back earlier in the chapters where it says there's going to be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, for the former things have passed away. John is trying to describe it here for us metaphorically speaking, but this is now, in this time and place, a time of purity. It's a time of righteousness. It's a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. It's a time of abundance. It bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. It's a time of perfection, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, bringing and putting lives. We've got new lives, new very essence of our being at that point in time. But all that he's speaking about there is the perfection of what he's able to see in all of this. We read on in verse 3 that there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. No more curse of sin. No more curse of death. The victory of Christ is finally, completely played out as we're now standing in his presence. I know, I understand that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, that his battle with sin and strife was over, that the enemy was defeated. But I also know that in your life and in my life, a battle continues on. Amen? Okay, for most of you, some of you are in denial, uh, but we are still in a process of a battle in our own lives. All that Christ gained for us at the cross, the completeness of it all, will finally be totally played out and before us at that point. There shall be no more curse. Why? Because God and the Lamb are on the throne And we're there in their presence. And here we serve God out of the the greatness of all that's been obtained on our behalf. We'll now be in the glory of his presence. And we're going to be seeing him face to face. We shall behold him far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all his glory. We shall see him by and by. That's what's going to happen. That's what's before us. John continues on in verse 3, that they, speaking of the saints that are there, they shall see his face. His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Again, I believe that he speaks of that intimacy, the closeness, that we're going to have with the Lord. And I don't believe we can even begin to compare that with any type of relationship that we have now or any type of worship that we've even experienced this side of heaven. 
I don't care how great a time of worship you've ever had. I don't care how intimate and how close and how connected you feel with anyone in this physical realm. None of that is going to be able to even hold a light to what we're going to see, what we're going to experience there when we stand face to face with the Lord. Right now, you and I, in our life, regardless of how great a worship experience that we've had here in this world, eventually we've got to go home, or we've got to go to work, or we've got to take the garbage out, or we're going to take care of the kids. Life just continues to happen all around us. I mean, even when you come to church, you know, after worship time, people want to hang out. What do they say? Hey, we're turning out the lights. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But then the worship continues forever and ever and ever. The presence of the Lord, always there, always before his face. You need to understand what a joy that is going to be for us at that point in time. It's even difficult to give an illustration this side of heaven. But if you can imagine, in your wildest imaginations, the one whom you love, whom you desire more than anything, anyone else in the whole world, that you've been separated for a while, and then you come back together. And the joy of that experience, of being with that one that you love, the one that your heart beats for, the one that makes your heart go pitter-patter, to be able to come back to that one, that can't even be compared to what is going to happen for us when we come and we stand before. All of this that we see, everything that we see, all of our relationships, everything that we have right now is temporary. Everything. It's all going to burn. So then that the angel spoke to John in verse 6, and he gave him some further instructions. He said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecies of this book. So in essence, what the angel was telling John was that everything that he had seen, everything that he had heard during this time of the revelation was true, and not only was it true, but it's all going to happen fairly quickly. It's going to come about in a quick time period. God had sent his prophets to warn the people that the time was short. He gave John this vision in order that John might come and tell everyone that the time is short. And John here interjects these words, these words of the Lord Jesus. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It doesn't tell us who said these words, but I believe that through the context of the words, we can rightly assume that these are the words of Jesus to his bride, to the church. Get yourself ready. I'm coming, and I'm coming quickly. And with obedience, gang, comes blessing. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Our blessings as believers, both this side of heaven, even on the other side of heaven, because the word speaks about rewards. It speaks about the blessings of the Lord to faithful servants. There is a blessing for obedience. It's at this point that John, 
I believe, becomes once again just overwhelmed with, with the whole vision. He has seen so much that you've got to realize just the overwhelmingness of all that he's seen, all that he's experienced and heard. And so what happens? I believe that he's worn out. I believe that he's exhausted. He's seen so much. He's experienced so much. I believe in that one day that verse 8 tells us, and now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But then he, the angel, said to me, see that you don't do that. For I'm your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. You need to understand that John knew, John understood that he wasn't supposed to be worshiping angels. But I believe that he was just so overwhelmed by this whole experience of what he was seeing, man. It just overcame him. But once again, the angel, just like he did back in chapter 19, he tells him, whoa, 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 don't do that. See that you don't do that. I'm no different than you. Although he's an angel, he's quite a bit different on our viewpoint. But he does know that he is a created creature. That's what he's saying in essence. I'm just a created creature. Don't, don't do that to me. Worship God. Because you see, that angel had full understanding, full remembrance of what happened to Lucifer. Has Lucifer's pride built up within himself? And he desired worship. He sought to be lifted up and exalted. And that angel knew what happened to Lucifer. And he said, no, 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 not me. Don't do that. Worship God. But the angel continued on in verse 10. He says, and then he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What we see here again, it's just the eminence of Christ's soon return, that it's going to happen. Daniel was told to seal up the words that he heard until that time yet to come. But here John is told, don't seal these words up. Why? Because the time is at hand. That's how close it was when John was speaking these things. And then he's given this rather cryptic phrase, and it's rather strange when you first look at it till you understand what he's trying to say. He says, hey, you know what? If you're unjust, continue to be unjust. If you're filthy, continue to be filthy. If you're righteous, continue to be righteous. And if you're holy, continue to be holy. Well, what in the world is that supposed to mean? I mean, doesn't it matter how you live? He's saying, hey, if you're unjust, go ahead and be unjust. Shouldn't we change our ways, you know, from wicked to righteous? And yet it says, hey, if you're filthy, continue on to be filthy. I believe the answer is, is yes, you should change, but don't wait until tomorrow. You've got to do it now because the Lord's soon return is right at the door. And if in John's time it was so close, beloved, I can't help but think that man just at any moment, at any day, we see the situation that the world is in. Can the United States get worse? Oh, it could get a whole lot worse. There is no doubt about that. 
We've seen it go progressively, progressively worse. And that's before you even begin to look at politics. I'm just looking at our culture and where we are as a culture and as a people. The letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough, but doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word. Make-